following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. praying for their teachers. If you've never taught children, then you don't understand what it means to need prayer. I used to tell people all the time that I preaching to, preaching to kids is easy. Preaching to the adults is the hard part. And I think every preacher ought to start off in children's ministry. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Joel. We've been making our way through the Minor prophet Joel, and uh, we're making our way through all the minor prophets. Uh, we found find ourselves now at Joel, and we've got maybe just a couple uh, weeks left this week and um, next week, and then perhaps one more. Um, we'll see how the Lord uh, leads, but I know at least two more weeks. But here we are in Joel chapter number two, and uh, we're looking at a couple things this morning. Uh, we just spent some time in prayer. Before that, we had some songs. Before that, we had a time in prayer. And some people are like, well, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. Yes, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. We believe that prayer is necessary. It is not about informing God, as I've said before, but about reminding ourselves of to whom we ought to turn. And this is a practice that we ought to uh, take very seriously. And so, uh, so often prayer can be misunderstood, and as a result, either prayer becomes something that is ignored, or far less, it becomes something that is belittled, and people think little of it. For some, they see little effect, uh, and only do, only pray because they are supposed to. Well, we're supposed to pray before we eat. We're supposed to, supposed to pray before we go to bed. We're supposed to start the church in prayer. Many people, uh, sadly, see prayer as of little effect, and they only do it because it's, a, it's supposed to be. Some, <clears throat> sadly, see uh, there's no effect, and they forsake it as a trite waste of time. Uh, but there are those, however, who have truly experienced the power of honest, heartfelt prayer, and they understand my friend, if prayer is not important to you, can I say this? It's because you've never experienced the response of true, heartfelt prayer. We don't see how it benefits us, and therefore we don't. So stand with us, if you would, as we read this morning from Joel chapter number 2, standing for the reading of God's Word. Look with me, if you would, at verse 18. It says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. 
Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the uh, the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with, uh, with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and cankerworm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that he hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Father, would you bless your word to our hearts? We know that your word is blessed forever. But Father, we're looking to learn something today. And so touch us, we pray. It's in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to comb through this morning uh, the, the verses before us in an attempt to gain an understanding of something that is so often mis, misunderstood, overlooked, and it is simply the grace, or should I say the mercy of God in his pity. Now, I, I titled this, When God Pities His Children. And I do intend to use that. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say something along the line of, I don't need your pity. I don't want your pity. I wonder why. Now, there are some that they have said that for so long because perhaps something bad in their life has taken place. And they were, uh, you know, so many people felt sorry for them, felt bad for them. And so they would, they would offer to them condolences. Or, or maybe somebody, um, you know, was, uh, got tired of getting passed over for some sort of accolade that they deserved. And someone came and gave them a pat on the back anyway. They, I don't want your pity. I don't want your pity. Well, the the sad thing is with all of this that as people give uh, this attitude of not wanting the pity of others, many times that translates into not wanting the pity of God. I don't need anybody's pity, and I become a self-made man. I become fine. I'm good to go. I'm taken care of. And what we do is we lose out on one of the greatest blessings and greatest gifts of, to, to all mankind. It is the pity of God. Now, notice what it says in verse 18. This is where we find our start. It says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. 
Now, this is something that ought to be embraced and so ought to be something that is, is beautiful and wonderful in our minds. But I want to take a look at a couple of these words because many times we completely miss the mark on them. First, notice what it says, then will the Lord be jealous. Now, an, an interesting term that we use in theology is an anthropomorphic statement. Anthropomorphic. Basically, what that means is whenever mankind is trying to describe or explain something about God and they don't know the words, they will take a human emotion or a human attitude or characteristic and attach it to God because it's the only thing that they can really, they can really think to explain it. Now, this is, uh, if you were to read uh, something along the lines of uh, on the seventh day in creation, God rested. Now, this idea of rest is not an idea that God was tired, but it's he, he stopped. He didn't have anything left to do, and so this is an anthropomorphic statement. Uh, additionally, we hear from time to time how it repented the Lord to do something. He turned and did the opposite. This is not saying the same thing that you and I would talk about when we say repent of your sins because God makes no mistakes, none. And similarly, here with this idea of jealousy, it's important for us to understand what it means for God to be jealous. This is when God, being accredited in action or an attitude that man can relate to, is seen in a different light. This does not mean that God experiences this in the same way as man, but it is just that God is so far above us that we lack the ability to effectively convey him. And so the Oxford English Dictionary explains, defines jealousy in many different ways. There were about three different columns uh, for the word jealousy in the Oxford English Dictionary. Uh, The third is zealous or vehement in feeling for the preservation of something possessed or esteemed. Vigilant or careful in guarding. This is something that is jealous. Now, think about it. In, in earthly terms, we, we, we will say, well, that girlfriend of his is just really jealous. Maybe that's because she is vehemently trying to protect something she sees as hers. Now, another way of saying that said of God is having uh, God having a, uh, having a love which will tolerate no unfaithfulness or defection. So, get this. Jealousy is not always a suspicious, paranoid, doubtful, or mistrustful emotion. When used of God, it is referring to an enthusiastic passion. Excitement. Wait a minute. Hey, that's mine. That's mine. Now, we take jealousy from a humanistic standpoint because we don't like to be the one that everybody uh, uh, or, or that somebody is overly jealous of. And uh, I had a guy one time said, I can't talk to that rock without my wife getting mad. Yeah, that's a different kind of jealousy, right? I can't even walk into a building and my wife's not second guessing. Well, maybe you need to control your eyes a little bit. I don't know. Maybe there's reason for that. But what when we're talking about God, One translates the word that is used there as exactly what I've got before you, enthusiastic passion, zealously passionate. Now, this is the beautiful part about about the jealousy of God because he says there, uh, if you were to go back a couple verses and you'd see what he's talking about, 
Um, note there in the in verse 17, just look there for a minute. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? If you go back to the beginning of that, uh, that portion, verse number 12, uh, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. See, here's the, here's the thing. Whenever we do this and there's true heartfelt turning to God, the Bible lets us know that he will turn to you. I love the way it puts it. It says, then will the Lord be jealous for his land. That's my land. Those are my people. That's my promise. But then he goes even a little step further. He says, and pity his people. Now, understand this. No one who believes God's word and the truth of a loving, personal, sovereign God can deny the power of true heart-rending prayer. This kind of prayer brings about the pity of God. Don't miss this. Don't miss the idea that is in this because many people, again, we have that prideful arrogance in us. I don't need your pity. No, my friend, we do when we understand what it is that we're talking about. When we understand what is taking place, we will realize that we need, we are in desperate need of the pity of God. Now, I'm using the word pity here, and it needs to be. Pity is a word often shunned, but it should be a word most embraced by believers because pity is mercy. Don't miss that. Don't miss it. Psalm 103.13, Brother Jeff read that a little bit ago. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You know, when you are able to attain the mercy of God, when you humble yourself to realize you need his pity. A lot of people are never going to find the mercy of God because they're not willing to humble themselves to realize and admit, I need his pity. This is what is being taught to us here in the book of Joel. He says, he says, turn to him, rend your heart, not just your garments, but rend your heart. Turn to him, turn back to God with all your heart, with all that you have, turn to him, and you'll receive pity. You'll receive pity. Now, let's look at a couple other things on this. The Oxford English Dictionary refers to pity as the disposition to mercy or compassion. It says of it, it's a feeling or emotion of tenderness aroused by suffering, distress, or misfortune, of another prompting a desire for its relief. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And I want you to see a couple examples here. Earlier before we sang, Be Thou My Vision, Titus read from this, says, and as they departed from Jericho, verse 29, Matthew 20, verse 29, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, 
two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. The multitude rebuked them because they should hold, uh, hold their peace, but they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. I love the stories that we find in the, uh, in the, in the Gospels. I love the accounts, should I say, not necessarily stories. Stories are more like uh, uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears or Cinderella. These are accounts. These are true. Okay? This is not Aesop's fables, my friends. These are true accounts, and I love it when we get to read about a blind man being restored his sight. I love that. Of course, I'm always reminded of Fanny Crosby, and somebody asked her what would happen if she could get her sight back. She says, I don't want it on this side of the earth. I want the first thing that I see to be my, the face of my Jesus. And I was thinking about that, and it just shows you how stupid I can be from time to time. I was thinking about that with uh, uh, some of these people that maybe walked with Jesus and maybe one of these blind guys. No, 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 don't heal me. I want the first thing I see to be God. Well, duh, if he heals them, you know. But here we have some blind men who could not see, and they asked for mercy. This is the same idea. Actually, in the book of First Peter, the word is translated, the exact same word that is used here is translated pity. Pity. We are such a proud race of people, are we not? Proud and arrogant, I don't need help, I don't need your illumination, I can read the Bible for myself, I don't need the help of somebody else, I can understand life, I can get it taken care of, and it is not until we call out and say, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy upon me, that he can open the eyes of the blind and help them to see who God truly is. Too many people, they turn to this book, and I've had people ask me, why is it that some people can read the Bible and they find Christ and other people read the Bible and they just get mad? It's because they're not calling out for mercy. They're not looking for pity. They don't want it. They don't care about it. All they want is to prove their own side. And they'll never find God as long as they reject pity. They'll never find him as long as they stiff arm mercy. I don't need it. Don't want it. Well, if you don't need, you don't want mercy, then that's exactly what you're going to get, no mercy. You can go back to Matthew chapter 9 and find another example of the exact same thing. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 27 with me. Matthew 9, 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, 
see that uh, no man know it. <laughs> but they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. Now that's a change. That's a change that you can't keep your mouth shut about. <laughs> Here, I've given you sight. Now, don't tell anybody yet. It's not quite time for me to be made. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You changed me. I understand them. What I don't understand are the people who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God changed, who have had their eyes open, spiritually open. They've been made alive, and they keep their mouths shut. I don't understand that. It makes no sense to me how someone could have their eyes open to see the glories of God. They've experienced the mercy of God. No longer are they under the hand of condemnation. No longer. Keep their mouth closed. (laughs) My friend, when that kind of thing takes place, the only thing we can truly do is tell someone, are you? Are you telling anybody about the change that took place in your life? Have you experienced the mercy of God? Have you experienced this? Have you told anybody about it? I mean, this is something life-changing. This is something altering. Your destination was an eternal hell, and God saved you and gave you a different destination. He gave you a new path. He gave you a new walk. He gave you a new life. He united you with his Father. There's something to talk about in that. But how often do we just find ourselves keeping our mouths closed? Let's go back to the book of Joel. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. We see a, a, a guarantee of response. There's a guarantee found in Scripture. We find it all over the Word of God. That when we call on him, he will answer us. This is one of the things I love about the Psalms of David. He'll he'll say things along the lines of, I called unto the Lord and he heard me. This is a beautiful thing. When we turn to him with our whole heart, there's a promise that he will hear. The way a father pities his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. When one turns to God with their whole heart, there's a promise given that he will show mercy. This is why he came to earth. Get that. John 3, 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that that the world through him might be saved. This is the whole reason that God came. The whole reason Jesus came was to save mankind, not to condemn them. My friend, you're already condemned. Sin condemns us, but it's the mercy of Jesus Christ coming to earth. He came. That was a merciful, piteous act, and I'm so thankful that God pitied us enough to come. Thank you, Jason. God came for you. 
That's pity. This is not a promise that is made so that we go out and put on a show so that we can get things. Rather, it's an explanation and a demonstration of the character of our loving God. So many people get hung up on the fact that God allowed this calamity to come on the people, and they're like, well, God's such a vengeful, judging kind of guy. No, 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 my friend. He does it to get the attention. He desires to show mercy. If God was vindictive and evil like that, why doesn't he just kill them all as soon as they mess up? As soon as they step out of line, just step on them like an ant. No. The grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, he comes out and he says, I want your attention. You need to be paying attention. It's going to go wrong if you do that. And if I have to send plague, if I have to send locusts, if I have to send pestilence, if I have to take things from you to get your attention so that you will know the right thing to do and the right way to come, I will because I love you that much. God is merciful if you want it. He is merciful to those who need it. Do you want his mercy? Do you need it? If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I'm doing okay. Or maybe at one point in my life, I needed the mercy of God. Thankfully, I got it then. I'm okay now. Calm down. Verse 20 says, But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him, uh, will drive him into the land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and his ill savor shall come up because he hath done great things. There's a deliverance that is assured in this. There's a deliverance that is assured. Realize that the very calamity that had been permitted by God on those who rebelled will be removed by God on those who turn to him. The very same. Never forget, never forget That God is in charge. Don't forget that. He set the world in motion. He gets the privilege and the honor to be able to establish the rules, the boundaries. He, He gets that. He's the one that made it. He knows the right way to go. He's the one who is righteous. He knows the right way to live. That's what righteousness is, right living. So he's able to tell us these things. He is in in control. He is in charge. Never forget that God is in charge, and all that happens is either ordained or permitted by God. Even in difficulty, he is still God. Don't forget that. I made reference to this a few weeks back, the difference between Saul and David. When Saul messed up, he got mad at God. When David messed up, he repented and turned back and continued his pursuit of God. 
rest. I want you to rest in this deliverance that is assured. Rest in the truth that nothing. Remember in Genesis chapter 18, God said in reference to Sarah having a baby and her in her old age. That's <laughs> anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? This is why many people, my friends, do not pray. Because they have forgotten the power of God. See, many fear that God will not forgive them. He's afraid that they, they're afraid that he will not forgive their sin. But Jesus did not come to condemn, he came to save. Romans 8 verse 1 speaks to this. In chapter 7, we read about Paul, and he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do the things that I do. I don't want to do, here I am, I'm stuck in the middle. Oh, wretched man that I am. But then chapter 8 verse 1 starts out this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, that's turning to him with your whole heart. It's not just praying a prayer, signing your name on the back of a track. Yep, got that done. (laughs) Follow him. It's a lifelong pursuit. From this day forward, I am walking a new life, a new road. I am going the right direction. I am going to follow Jesus. But many forget the power of God. So they stop praying. Many don't want to pray because of this. They they forget that there's nothing too hard for God. Another reason that they don't pray is because they have forgotten to rest in his ultimate plan that brings glory and honor to him. And so we should learn to pray this way. God, will you get glory out of this? No matter how difficult the situation is, it doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter who's not in office. Doesn't matter what war's taking place. Doesn't matter who in my life is ailing. It doesn't matter who in my life is upset at me. Doesn't matter if I've done something stupid. Doesn't matter any of that stuff. You know what matters is God getting glory out of it. And so I can sit there and I can stew all day long and wonder, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to take place? Oh, I don't know if this is going to work out. Oh, our, 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 our country, our nation, our, our, our world, our, uh, what's, what's going on with this war? Maybe that war is going to come over here. No, no, no. God, will you get glory in this, please? Please, get glory in this some way, shape, or form. If that means that you need to send me there, if that means that you need to allow the bomb to land on me, I don't know. Whatever it is, God, you get glory. Are you ready to pray that prayer? There's a reassurance that is given as well in verses 21 down through 24. And actually, for sake of time, we won't, we won't reread that. But just read it on your own time. That there's a reassurance that is given. God knows 
realize this. God knows our propensity toward anxiety. Anxiety is the is is if memory serves me correct, anxiety is the number one diagnosis today of uh, disabilities. God knows we are prone to being anxious. This is why time and time again, God says, be anxious for nothing. He's saying, hey, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. He's not saying, you're sinners for anxiety. That's not what he's saying. He says, I know you're going to get anxious over this. Calm down. Calm down. He says it in here twice. He says in verse number 21, he says, fear not. Verse 22, he says, be not afraid. You know how we can do that? By remembering who's in charge. By remembering that no matter what takes place and what hits me, no matter how hard it is, he is still in in control. He is still in charge. He was the God yesterday. He's the God today, and he's going to be the God tomorrow. I can rest in that, and I can find comfort, and guess what? I don't have to fear. don't have to fear. See, when our heart is far from God, we have good reason to worry. But those who have turned to him, did you know that the Bible refers to him as a mother bird pulling her babies under her wing? My friend, if you are a child of God, you reside under the wing of the Almighty. What are you afraid of? You reside under the mighty hand of the one who created everything in this universe. What are you worried about? His wing protects you. Live there. Many fear that God will not forgive. This is a lie from Satan. A lie from Satan. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Look at this last thing with me before we make our conclusion. Verses 25 and 26 refer to the loss that is replenished. It says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. There is a loss that is replenished. Brothers and sisters, sin entered this world and death by sin. The Bible lets us know very plainly, God did not create sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Sin was the cause in Joel's day. Sin was the cause of this great loss, and it is the same thing that causes you and I, my friend, to have lost today. It is that sin. But God is the source of blessing and peace. Wonderful thing. The mercy of God is seen in the devastation coming to an end. But the grace of God is seen in his blessings. 
most people, most world religions get those two things messed up. They take grace and mercy and try to equate them into one thing. No, 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 no. The two are not the same. Mercy is God not giving to man what he rightly deserves. Brothers and sisters, if you and I get worried about that, what if I rightly deserve a million dollars? Trust me, brother. What we rightly deserve is death. What we rightly deserve is being ostracized from the perfectly pure one. That's what we deserve. And mercy is when Christ came to earth and he says, I'll take their place so they don't have to. But you want to see the grace of God? Mercy being seen in the devastation coming to an end. Mercy is when, okay, you don't have to go through that pain and suffering. He did it for you. Here's grace. And now you're my son. Now, I'll give you a home in heaven with me. Not only do I withhold my chastising hand, not only do I remove the penalty of sin, but now, to them who believed in him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. That's beautiful. Last verse in our passage here, verse 27. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. Paul said it this way. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. So how do we see God's presence? Well, we trust him. We trust him. We obey him. We live his way. And we rest in his care. This is how we can see it. This is how others can see that we are in the presence of God. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I am not what I once was. Y'all may have been born perfect. Not this old hillbilly. I was talking to the Sunday school teachers this morning. I used to be a jerk, and some people still think that, but at least the rough edges of being a jerk has been sanded off. Most of them, anyway. But how is it that people see that I'm in the presence of God? I trust Him. No matter what's happening, no matter how difficult it may be, I trust Him. Because I trust him, I obey him. No matter how difficult it might be to obey. And because I obey him, I live his way, not mine. And then I rest in that because I'm in his care. Have you turned to God for pity? You. Don't worry about the person sitting around you. You. Have you turned to God for pity? Let me ask you this. Now, this may be a little bit of a difficult one for us to, we we don't like it, 
that pride likes to rear up. Can I ask you, do you still fear and doubt? Why? Turn to God with your whole heart. Take that part to him as well. Well, I'm worried about this, so I think I'm just going to hold on. Give it to God. Give that doubt to God as well. Give that fear to God. Well, I've got this issue that I just can't let go of. Let it go. He says, call on me and I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things. Cast all your cares on me, he says. I'll take them. I'll shoulder them. Be anxious about it. Give it to him. And then do not look for the temporal blessings and temporal things of this earth. Look for eternal blessings. Pursue him. Him. The people in Joel's day, down in Judah, they had sought for temporal blessings. And Jesus, and God said through his prophet Joel, Turn to me. Turn to me with your whole heart. Then I will pity. And I'll remove the issue. But you got to turn to him. Father, thank you for loving us in such a way that you pitied us. You saw fit to to not leave us in the state we were in. You saw fit, Lord, to love on us in such a way that it's just amazing. You are a good and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in grace and love and mercy. Your mercies are new and fresh every day. Father, help us to be people who seek it regularly, to realize our insignificance in your greatness. Thank you, Father, for not just being merciful, but being gracious as well, making me your son, giving me a home with you in a relationship. Thank you for holding that. Thank you, Father, for your love. Now use this time to bring glory and honor to yourself again because you're the only one worthy of that. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.